Let us ask God to bless the teaching of his word. O God and our Father, please give us understanding of your word by the work of your spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. So once again, we are considering what it means to be the church, to be God's people. And we are looking in the book of Ephesians. And of course, just as a continual reminder, and you might say, Pastor, why do you keep hammering this? Because I want us to think it through. I want us to know that in his word, he instructs us, yes, to go and make disciples and baptizing them, but also that we should teach all that he has commanded. And it's important that we understand that he gave us directions and commands concerning being his people, what that means, what we are to know of him, what we are to know in him, and how we are together in him. And he has called us then, because of that, the, the facts, those truths, to be people of action. You know, we understand that the world and the church is divided. Unfortunately, the people of God too often work divided. We kind of act like the book of Judges, where it says, and every man did what was right in their own eyes. All too often, it's like this. And every church does, right, does what's right in their own eyes. And so instead of being the people of God working together, we can even say in these four walls, we're not as unified as we should be. But I would even say outside these four walls with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is important for us to remember these key distinctions. One, that Paul affirms that the people that the, in the church at Ephesus, men, women, and children, are saints. And that the degrees of separation that existed prior to his death and resurrection no longer exist. Paul writes to all of the church in Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 1, he gives us a reminder of the kind of prayer that he outlines throughout all of Scripture by giving thanks for creation, giving thanks for redemption, and asking God for the fulfillment of his will and kingdom. We know, as we've talked about already, that the book of Ephesians is divided up into two sections. We could say one section is truths and doctrines, and the other section is because of those truths and doctrines, how we then are to live. Now it's important that we understand that because we believe the truths and doctrines, that we act. But it is important that Paul is not teaching by the Spirit that we are to work on our intellect first, and when our mind is all straight, then we take action. No, that is a Greek idolatrous idea. We could even say, brought, resurrected by the Enlightenment. No, actions, however, do flow from God's true word. So I want us to consider that as we look at God's Word today. Let us consider the fact 
that in the, in the preceding weeks we've discussed, first of all, that there's the conduct of the dead and we are in great debt, dead in our sins. Yet, because of God's wealth and richness and mercy, we are no longer dead. But rather, we are made alive. And, and Ephesians 2 makes this very clear. We are made alive together. We are raised together. And that He made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. We are not simply saved as individuals. We are saved to the people of God. He made us alive together, raised us together, and made us sit together, that is, ruling in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, about that time, we hear that and we go, oh, it's because of all the good things I'm doing. Got that all figured out. No, he comes right back and says, you are saved by grace and not of ourselves. But we can't separate the fact that once God saves us, people of God, we're saying it again, you're not saved simply to go to heaven. You are saved then so that you may do the work of God. And yes, being granted the blessing of being in his eternal kingdom is a part of it. But you are saved to do a work. To do the work he created you to do. So we cannot say simply, well, I'm a Christian and I can go about my business. I can do whatever I want. I'm sitting in heavenly places with God. No, it has an outworking, a gratefulness towards God, and therefore we do His work, His calling. It's important that in all of this, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 11, that we are no longer separated. That is, no longer separated. Strangers, we see in verse 19 of chapter 2, Now, therefore, because of these truths we've already discussed, you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, that is, people who have access to the throne, and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into the holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of the God in the Spirit. So it is important that we recognize that God is building us together. He is the chief cornerstone, and based off the teachings of the apostles and prophets, the Old and the New Testament, We are learning and we are being built up in the church as one people, as the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And that's our introduction to remind us of where we are when we come to Ephesians chapter 3. Now you see in Ephesians chapter 3 beginning in verse 1 it says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you. Now we're going to pause right here and say a couple of things. Paul says that he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you, the Gentiles. And you see, when Paul is is writing this, 
he is undergoing persecution. He's been arrested. He is doing these things. And he is trying to speak to the church in Ephesus of whom he helped establish. And he says this, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. In other words, in God's sovereign grace, in his plan for me, he has set forth the adversity of being a prisoner. To what end? You see, sometimes we find that we're in difficult circumstances in our personal life, in our personal relationships, and if truth be told, I know it's all crossed everyone's mind over the last few years, maybe we're in difficult circumstances to a degree as it relates to those in political leadership around us. But just like Paul, and that being the sovereign work of God for his purposes, if this is happening to us as the people of God, it is in fact the sovereign work of God. It's important also that we, we don't get lost here, because after he says this, he said, if indeed you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God that was given to me for you. Now, this word dispensation, um, you know, it's a word we don't come into contact with. I think this word would be better translated in today's parlance as stewardship. It says this, if, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship, that is, he's been given by God, a calling to teach the Gentiles and to bring them into the church, into the family of God. And it was given to him by God for you, and he's meaning collectively the church. To a certain degree, we currently live as prisoners. There's a lot we can't do. We're not running this country. That is, we are under restricted dominion. That is what a prisoner is. A prisoner can only go so far, his dominion is restricted. It is important that we recognize that this is a calling from God, and we have a calling to do His work in it. Now this is really important, and he says this, He says that really he's here to do the work of bringing the Jew and Gentile that are now one in Christ together. Right now, we pray for the world and the rulers around us. You heard us just a few minutes ago praying for our political leaders and judges. Sometimes we go so far as to name them by their names in detail. We need to understand God and his word. As the biblical pattern exists, limited dominion, limited dominion as a prisoner who prays will see tribulation and hardship. So if we are actually for years now, this church has been getting up and praying for our political leaders as God's word instructs us to, we need to understand that the biblical pattern shows that when you do this, that it will bring tribulation and hardship. To what end? It is for the salvation of others and even to share God's mercy and provision of salvation to the principalities and powers in high places. And you can see that throughout the scriptures. For example, you see that with Joseph, right? He sees that he is given difficulty. 
And as he prays for those who persecute him, what happens? He's elevated up through that tribulation. And he not only becomes a salvation to uh, the world by providing food, but also he has an opportunity to speak and preach the mercies of God to Pharaoh and all his court. We also see in Daniel the very same thing. Daniel, taken from his family, put under difficulty, persecuted at every turn. And what did God do through that? Gave him the opportunity to preach the gospel through word and deed to the leaders of the world. Of course, we see it also with Paul. Right? When he's getting persecuted, what happens? He goes and he undergoes all kinds of difficulties, even physical beatings, stonings, all kinds of things. And what happens in the very end? He has an opportunity. He claims his right as a Roman citizen that God provided for him. And he has an opportunity not only to speak to all those people he was preaching the gospel to, who were Jews and the general Gentiles, but then he's suddenly preaching to the leaders, both regionally and internationally, of Rome. And of course, who sets the pattern of this completely? We see Jesus himself. Jesus undergoes great hardship for the salvation of others. And he, of course, comes into contact with the powers, both political and religious, And he speaks God's mercy and truth and plan of salvation. Be encouraged, people of God. Don't be discouraged by the things you see about limited dominion. We are to pray. We are to expect hardship. And and I want us to remember this. This morning, our reading from Jeremiah 29, what did it say to all those who were in exile? Let us hear this. And thus Yahweh of hosts, and thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive. So those people who are in captivity have limited dominion. Whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says this, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to Yahweh for it. For in its peace you will have peace. See, through the prophet of Jeremiah, he is saying, listen, I've called you here, I've put you here, so get married, have kids, serve God, Go about your daily business, plant gardens, be fruitful, multiply in every area of your life. Pray for the peace of your enemies. This is his plan. And he also doesn't just say, go as far as that. He starts talking about having the mind of dominion in the the fact of doing this generationally. Then get your kids and grow them up in God and help them find godly husbands and wives and continue on. Because people of God, political empires fall, and the church remains. So whatever challenges you think we're facing here, 
Go about your business. Be faithful in it. Build and grow and look generationally through things. You know, we need to understand the heart of the gospel. It's Christ in you and you in Christ. And we need to understand that we are the saints of God. That we are, in fact, fellow heirs in Christ Jesus. Consider this now from Ephesians chapter 3. We've already read the first two verses. Now we're going to pick up in verse 3 where it says this. How that by the revelation he made known to me, that is Jesus made known to him, the mystery which I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, That word fellow heirs is joint heir. It's not senior heir and lower heir. It's joint heirs. They're receiving the sonship of Christ in his full capacity, not as one getting more and one getting less, but the same. And not only are they joint heirs, but they they are of the same body. That is to say, the same church. Unlike the old covenant where there were degrees of separation, no, there are no more degrees of separation. So he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now it's important that we think about this partakers in this way. They are fellow partakers, totally together. This is compared to the warning that that Paul gives later on in chapter 5 and verse 7 about not partaking in practicing sin as one of the darkness. No, we are now children of light. We are all children of light. When you look around you and you see the children sitting here in the service today, they are your fellow heirs. There's no more distinction but fellow heirs together. And all of this is of his promise in Christ through the gospel, which I became a minister, that is, a servant, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working. This is a miraculous work of the Spirit, of his power. So there is a, there is a miraculous work of the Spirit that is strength and power and ability. Those things come, we are able to be a servant, to do these things for others, to have these understandings, by the work of God's Spirit. He reveals them to us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 says this, In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made by hands, by the putting off of the body of sin and flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. The reason I read this verse is, first of all, for us to see the connection to baptism being uh, together, and that, that we must see that the same working, the same word working of God who raised Jesus from the dead, that same miraculous power that did that is the same word, it's the same miraculous power that God reveals His understanding of His word to you and me. God, through His Spirit, is actively working to give us understanding to His word. 
We see again in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, To me, who I am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable. Okay? Now this word unsearchable, and this is, by the way, unsearchable riches, (coughs) that he should preach these things among the Gentiles. This word unsearchable is very interesting in the Greek. It means past finding out. It doesn't matter how far you go down it, you can't find the end. So it's unsearchable riches. That's fullness of abundance. So it is the unsearchable riches of Christ to make all see what is the fellowship. What is that? That is, what, what is this mystery that he's trying to convey? You are one people. It is the fellowship, the community of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there was a mystery And the mystery was known. The people of God did understand, that is, the people of Israel did understand that they were called to bring the Gentiles nearer to God, to be the priests to the world, to bring them to the temple, to do sacrifices with them, to worship there. But there were degrees of separation. But it is very interesting to see how God works. We see that, that at the Tower of Babel, when God comes in and he divides them up so that they don't destroy themselves, he divides them up religiously into religious cultures. That when we, later on, when we come where the people of Israel leave Egypt, we see that there is Israel and there is God fearers. And God talks about this when he's setting up. Um, in the book of Deuteronomy and and throughout all of the the Pentateuch, he's setting this up and he says, okay, so here's the instructions and there's two people. But you know what happens through the time of being in the wilderness, the time of difficulty? What happens to those God-fearers? You don't hear about the God-fearers any further. When they go into the promised land, it's just the people of Israel. However, we recognize that Caleb was there you guys remember Caleb? That's right. He was a Kenite. He was a Kenite. He was not from the people of Israel, but he becomes integrated in. The scriptures actually tell us that he was brought into the tribe of Judah. Later on, we see that David and his mighty men, and he brings in all these Gentiles who become integrated in. It is not as if the people of Israel that the Jewish people of the day did not understand that this is what God does. Through His mercy, through His promises, He brings people together. However, what do we do? We, re- we say, oh, we get to sit in those high places, and now we want to set up degrees of separation because we are high and mighty. People of God, do not think too much of yourself, but recognize that you are saved through grace. God chose you before you could choose him. Now in this, we need to recognize that this is the eternal purpose to bring God's people together. And this is accomplished in Jesus Christ. 
We see again in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, because of Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Now this is important. Because of Jesus Christ, we all are the saints of God, And because Jesus Christ himself is seated at the right hand of God the Father and we are in him together, we are seated with him, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. That's why when we come together and we offer up these prayers of petitions together, we're in the presence of God. And together as God's people, we are worshiping him and we are bringing our prayers and petitions to him. And... We can do it with boldness, not because of our righteousness. That's why we confessed our sins before we get to that part. But we have access because of the work of Christ. It's important for us to recognize that Paul doesn't leave it right there. He comes to a prayer and he says, because of these truths, because of these facts, I'm going to pray. He says this in Ephesians 3.14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole, that is everyone collectively, the whole family, that is the kindred people in heaven. And, and the reason I keep breaking this down, I want you to see that, that we can read this and see that there is deep things to be understood here. So when he says whom the whole family in heaven, that is, it is the seat. Heaven is the seat of the order of things eternal. It's where God dwells and where other heavenly beings dwell. So all of heaven and earth is named. Now it's interesting when we consider this back to what we talked about in the very beginning. Why are we talking about this? Because in Matthew 28, Jesus gives us a direction and he says what? He says this, that all authority in heaven and on earth, this is the exact same phrase that we find right here. And he says, again, let us hear this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant, that is to give, supply, or furnish you, that is all of the church at Ephesus, according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with his might through the Spirit in the inner man. Now I want to pause right here and say this, that he is praying that God come down, help everyone collectively as the people of God, that God would grant these gifts to them, his riches in glory, from his riches in glory, to be strengthened with might in his inner man. Now this is important. Don't get caught up in this. Don't believe the Platonistic Greek or Enlightenment concept here of the separations of men. But rather understand that this this distinction here, inner man, is about the new creation man, not the intellect of man. To point this out, we can look at Romans 7, beginning of verse 21. I find the law that is evil present with me the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity for the law of sin which is in my members. 
O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. What he's talking about here is our sinful nature. The inward man is about understanding that we are a new creation in Christ and not as if to say the things of the created order are bad. We can continue on and see in verse 17, here this is really important, people of God, that because he's asking all these prayers, he asks this, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted... That is to be rendered firm, to be fixed, to be established, be rooted, and be grounded. Have the foundation laid. What did he say was the foundation? Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And then the foundation is the apostles and the prophets, God's word. This is important. That we be, that you being... That, excuse me, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So th- through the foundation of Christ, the apostles and the prophets, that we are to be in love, grounded in love. That is affection and goodwill, love and benevolence. This is brotherly love. We can find other passages in John and 1 Corinthians and Philippians. We can see this same very word, this love, being expressed to us. I want us to understand that we are called to brotherly love together as God's people, and we should be rooted in it. We should love one another. Verse 18 of Ephesians 3 says this, Because that we are rooted and grounded in love, it says this, May we be able to comprehend with all the saints, that's all y'all, What is the width and depth and height that is immeasurable in all dimensions to know the love of Christ which passes, that means it exceeds the knowledge, all that can be known, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This can be very difficult, but we need to understand that as we are walking in God, being rooted in His Word, and loving one another, taking action to love one another, that we may understand God's love, which passes all knowledge, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. And it is important that we hear these things. Paul finishes up with just the facts. Beginning in verse 20, he simply says it as it is. People of God, hear God's word. Now to him, you know, he, said, he lays out all these truths. He teaches us all these things. And you start saying, I don't know about this. i got struggles. I'm not sure I can work through this. Consider Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, that is more than, more than you can think, and abundantly beyond measure, and above all, that is collectively over everything, that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory. But the glory in what? In the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. To what? To all generations 
forever and ever. Amen. And it says this. He says all this. You feel overwhelmed? You don't think that you can, you can fully put yourself in all this? He's praying this prayer. And he says, Now God, in Jesus, is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. It's not your power, it's the work and power of the Spirit. To Him be the glory. And the glory of what? The church. By Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever, so be it. May it be fulfilled. People of God, you are His. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to You that You have chosen us to be Your people, that You have joined us together and have provided us times of being prisoners so that You may be glorified and draw all men to You. In Christ's name. Make it so. Amen.